0: Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. My intention with this experiment is to inspire hope and inspiration in your creative pursuits. Follow along as I interview artists, makers, entrepreneurs, and creatives from all walks of life. Listen while you work, listen while you create, listen while you dream up the next breakthrough idea. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, or craft, whatever that may be. These interviews are evidence of that fact. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Share this with your friends, family, and all those creative people you know out there. Now, let's dive into this concept we call creativity. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Taylor G here. Uh, This is the Art and Life podcast. And today is a special one. We've got Striker1, who uh, was on an earlier episode. And I wanted to bring him back because we always have these amazing conversations. And um, the world is on its head right now. And I thought he would be a great person to uh, give his perspective on it. Um, he has tons of experience. He lived his whole career uh, in the Air Force and working for the U.S. government. He looked at systems and analyzation. And he also has, happens to be black, uh, a black man living in America. And it's, it's a crazy time right now we're going through a ton of change and, um, there's, there's action all over the country, all over the world. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much happening. So I, I thought that this would be a good opportunity to give someone a voice who has a very intelligent uh, way of looking at things and, yeah, I just wanted to. My intention was to pay respect to the situation as well as I possibly can, and um, just just do the situation justice from my perspective. So, without further ado, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, striker one. Welcome, everybody, to the Art and Life podcast. We've got a really special one here today. This is going to be the second time that I've interviewed Striker one uh, He has uh, graced us with his presence one time before on the podcast. This is the first podcast where I've had the same person on twice. So, um, Striker, thanks for being on the podcast. It's always my pleasure to be here with you, my friend. Awesome. Um, why don't you just uh, bring up everybody to speed especially those that didn't hear the first podcast and just tell us who you are where you where you're from and a little bit of like what you did with your your life as in your career
1: yes this is striker one and uh originally from georgia southwest georgia a little small town uh newton georgia uh grew up there uh at the age of 17 i joined the Air Force and uh, stayed in the Air Force, active duty, reserves, combination of about 31 years in the Air Force, uh, worked for the federal government uh, for several years, too. Uh, from 1987, when I joined the federal government and I was in the reserves, also Air Force reserves, Uh worked until probably, what, last year, for the federal government as a federal employee too, a combination of both uh, federal service. So total uh, 39 years and for the U S government, for the citizenry of this country. uh, I enjoyed the experience.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, every time you talk about it, it, I can see there's a lot of good positive energy there with you. Um, Now, what you did in the government, a lot of it it sounds like was, um, you know, looking at big situations and figuring out solutions to problems on large scales. And uh, you know, when, when we see each other in passing, we always get into these amazing conversations just about what's going on in the world. And I mean, this is the craziest time that any of us has lived through right now. Um, It's super dynamic. We have, all these different situations taking place. Um, yeah, I just thought it'd be great to have you come on the podcast and talk a little bit about your perspective on things, because it's really interesting to me. And, um, I thought everybody else would think so too. So, I mean, I guess one place we could start would be, you know, with all this, with everything going on, all the dynamic elements of everything, we've got black lives matter. We've got COVID-19, um, you know, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are you, what, what are you seeing?
1: Well, I grew up in um, the 1960s uh, and during the civil rights era, uh, where as a little boy in uh, southwest Georgia, I participated in uh, marches. The marches were for uh, equality in education and just representation in our little small community. My schools uh, were were black schools and white schools when I was growing up. From the first grade to the third grade, I went to an all-black school. Uh, But in the third grade, the schools were integrated. And um, instead of the schools being, you know, just a combination of uh, boys and girls, it was split, it was an all-boys school, which was the black school, and it was a the white school, as we called it back in the day, was a girl's school. That didn't last long. Uh, it was uh, riots, and I wouldn't say it was a riot. I called it an uprising. There's no riots, but it was a, little, a lot of commotion going on. And uh, schools were, uh, you know, called off, delayed. Uh, we couldn't go to school because of all the turmoil, that was going on due to the separation of, uh, boys from girls, you know, and I marched my mother. She was a organizer of the marches and she would organize these marches along, uh, with another lady in the community, Miss Georgia Scott with all the children. And, you know, I had three sisters, brother and so forth. And we all, uh, marched and sang the songs mm-hmm. and, uh, participated in uh nonviolent type of uh, marches for equality uh today the buzzword is equity, which is the quality of of fair being fair and uh impartial in administering uh education uh so it it was as a little boy about maybe seven years old uh it was it was a traumatic experience uh but it was necessary. So that's my uh, experience with uh, inequality, if you will, being in a small rural community in a small southern town in southwest Georgia. Uh, It wasn't, it was tension, but it wasn't, it was racial tension, but it wasn't one to the degree where people hated one another, didn't, you know, uh, associate with one another. So we had the same dynamics that are going on today. Uh, wanting to get uh, treated fairly and everything, you know, economically, um, socially and medically and politically even. So uh, that was my initial uh, experience with uh, the movement of uh, marching, if you will, for uh, fair and uh, equal education.
0: Yeah. So now, what's your what's your take on the
1: current situation? Our current situation is uh, troublesome. Um, you know, we've had the coronavirus uh, come into the midst of the whole world. It wasn't a, um, you know, generic, just one specific place. It was a whole global community involved in a very, very serious uh, medical issue. That it seems like the majority of the world was unprepared for. It. Uh, so it's very difficult. It's very difficult to see everything that's going on. You know the unpreparedness. Uh, you know the inequity, if you will, in the medical testing inequity and uh, having the proper medical coverage to cover something like that. So it's it's been pretty devastating on the public, but more specifically in our country. For a nation of over 300 million people, uh, we are said to be the richest, if you will, or wealthiest. And that's debatable when you look at it from perspective of uh, administering fair and equal uh, education, economics, uh, even to the point of Race and gender, so been very difficult you know to deal with I know everybody's you know my family was touched with the coronavirus uh had a family member to pass away from it and uh the epicenter was in Albany, Georgia, where um the surrounding rural communities in Albany was the main hub for people to come into uh to shop to you know get groceries and other things for their families so it's been pretty tough watching something that we sh- should have been better prepared for and anticipating uh something like this would be astronomical. You know, um we as a nation uh wrest we are wrestling with, still wrestling with, uh affordable health care for everyone. That is something that um we're still wrestling with and to the point where is is being snuffed out. So these are the situations that we need to have equity and equality in education. And we need to address our shortages of medical personnel when it comes to situations like this being in a global community where people are traveling. And that was one of the main issues I believe where the transmission uh, of this Virus, COVID 19, as it's called, uh, into large populations of people. And uh, even to the point of uh, being honest with the people, what was going on with it, you know, it doesn't matter where it came from, it it, it matters to a high level in a bigger circle of the responsibility of where it came from. However, the responsibility was to address the need and taking care of it and acting uh, expeditiously.
0: Yeah. One thing that was really interesting to me that I saw the other day was uh, some, someone was comparing how the local police departments that are being distributed out to deal with protests have like armored tanks and like seriously crazy heavy duty machinery. And then at the same time, our medical facilities are understocked for things like masks and, and how that's like, was such a big issue. And it's, it's interesting to see just like clearly where our money is.
1: Yes. Um, you know, that the militarization of the police departments, uh, started, um, after nine eleven you know um the nation wasn't ready for a terrorist attack. You know these things happen unexpectedly un unbeknownst to the general public, but we have a uh, system that is responsible for uh seeking out uh these threats and ensuring that they don't um attack you know our our uh, infrastructure. So when you look at the police departments, you really, in my opinion, don't have a a traditional police department. What you have is where the U.S. government, military, uh, had this excess equipment after the fight on uh, Desert Storm, and it led up to the next issue, uh, which became uh, 9-11, and it was tons of equipment out there after these these wars or after these particular um, uh, situations with our military in the world. So now what you're looking at is you don't have a regular civilian police force as we did maybe when I was growing up or when you were growing up. What you have is a paramilitary force. And you can look at the hardware, as you just uh, mentioned. Uh, there was some years ago, I think maybe... I'm going to guess and say less than 20 years ago, where uh, the Obama administration, I believe, uh, addressed the issue where they said, well, these small uh, towns or cities, they were giving them this military excess property for uh, law enforcement. Law enforcement on the civilian population versus a military force is totally different. Now, there were a lot of military veterans who were already in the civilian police departments, who were in the reserves, got called up and so forth, and had to go and spend time uh, in the National Guard or the reserves, you know, to um, defend our nation. However, the thinking, the thinking of a civilian as far as a police officer uh, managing the uh, general public is different. Military and wartime, the thinking, the psychology of it is you're giving orders to go out and aggress the enemy, whoever the enemy may be, uh, versus a civilian as a police force. You're there to administer uh, the law, but with a state of mind. It's the mind, you know, that triggers uh, how uh, this activity is conducted. So, I guess I'm just trying to say there are two different uh, <clears throat> extremes when it comes to enforcement. Military police is different from civilian police, and the mission of the civilian police is to, you know, protect the community and. All the other traffic uh you know the crimes and so forth, but uh, once you militarize a police force, they change their whole tactics you You can look at just the uniforms that they wear. It wasn't just the hardware that was received by the police departments, it was the uh uniforms, so you see some guys in tactical equipment you see you see the uh regular police patrols, if you will, look at the riot gear. Um that's shocking to a society where you see the black and white. Now you see uh MRAPs, armored vehicles, uh, Humvees. And these some of these uh police departments uh were not ready or prepared to utilize his equipment in a civilian environment so when you look at the police you see a paramilitary force and that's pretty uh, shocking to a society that had a different perspective on what policing is versus what the military is you know and we're in the state we'll never go back because these police departments have been militarized which is to me is uh, not a very good thing because we can look at today and see uh, people who are protesting some of them non-violently, some of them violently for whatever reason it may be and, and I don't uh, particularly go along with the violent acts but in this country we have a right to assemble and protest so we have free speech but it's being um, kind of snuffed out or pushed back because of this military mind within the uh, regular civilian police forces. Look at other countries. You can look at all the other countries. You can name many of them uh, that we set, we've seen on television where the police force versus paramilitary. Paramilitary is dangerous. You're at one step away from being controlled by a military force in your country or in your community. The um, National Guard, for instance, is uh, the arm of the military for each governor. And the governor has the right, responsibility, authority over those forces. Uh, and those forces are to be administered in times of crisis. Um, but it seems now, with all of this, those good toys and uh, equipment they received from the military and, and these military minded individuals who they hired on to the military fo- to the civilian police forces is having the uh is they're colliding they're not merging and keeping the same uh mental uh approach to policing it's a military operation within uh the country so it's uh it's pretty tough pretty tough and uh shocking to see it happening but this is this is this is the world we live in today here in our country, United States of America.
0: Yeah, and it's like the like you're saying, like the enemy is now civilians.
1: Yes, the enemy is civilians now. Taxpayers, we're paying for this. Uh, the this equipment, we're paying for everything that's associated with our national security. Uh, you know. Like I was telling you, I joined the military when I was young, and I looked at the military differently from you know the police department. but today uh from a national security perspective, the people there's a large population of younger people of age, grown-ups, adults, that may have considered joining the military. Can you imagine this you You have a friend that joined the military. And you didn't join the military, and your friend who is in the National Guard uh, is the one that's pointing the weapon at you because you just want assembly, assemble, excuse me. But it's very difficult on relationships. It's very difficult as far as the view or the perspective being given to the public or to people who are joining the military that they all have to turn and use the same weapons that you pay tax for taxes for to feel this uh, military force, and they turn it against the general public. Uh, that's, that's really tough to deal with. So um, some people will not join the military because of that. Some people will not even have the respect for the military that they had before, not, not knowing that this is, uh, is not the way uh, it should be done. You know, it's very difficult to even explain watching it in the 21st century where uh, we did this back in the 60s, but it was the same thing. There's not really anything different. You just have a more of a combination of younger people of all ages and older people participating in ensuring that our rights and privileges as citizens of this nation are not infringed upon you know, by our political leaders. Do you feel like the move is
0: gaining enough energy to make make solid changes?
1: Yes, I believe it is. Um, it has to be a sustained effort, you know, and it has to be continual. You can't, you know, we're kind of trendy here in America. So, one trend comes in and stays for a while, and then this all goes away. This will be a continual, I believe, uh, process of education, involvement and uh, participation by the public to learn actually the Constitution of the United States, states what it means uh, is still in, into play right now. It, it hasn't changed but um, it's difficult because now we're having to deal with it kind of unprepared where the same types of atrocities against human beings, especially as you can see black males, you know, you have a population of uh, the prison population in America uh, is one of the largest in the world. You know, uh, the crimes that are committed, some of them low level crimes, where people shouldn't be in prison. We should have a different system to uh, ensure that, you know, they get an opportunity not to have to be put in jail, but you know, just for example, On the west coast of the United States, we have several states what California, Washington State, Oregon, Nevada, Colorado, where they have decriminalized, if you will, legalized marijuana. If you go east, you have this same uh, antiquated process of addressing those types of uh, uh, crimes, drug crimes and so forth but the, the punishment is harsher. So you know we as a nation just have to get up to the 21st century, look at where everything's come from uh, up until today with some of the same things that we're doing, we're doing the same thing but we've militarized our police force and what we've done too is uh, kind of disenfranchise our public to uh, participate in this process of making sure and having the right to protest Without being put under arms and by escalating the situation, so it's just a difficult situation we're dealing with today, and I just believe that this is the right thing to do uh this is the right thing for everyone to do. It's not a black issue, it's not a white issue, but it's a black and white issue if you know what I mean. What's going on, we can see it uh every day happening, but uh, I just would say this is the right thing to do because it will bring about change and the unfortunate thing is that lives have to be lost in the middle of this uh coronavirus which is very very uh dangerous
0: yeah i heard somebody say um talking about the coronavirus that it was it's almost like a, a black light on society where it makes you aware it's made us all aware of the systemic issues that were going on that we couldn't, or we as a society weren't choosing to look at when everything was, right. when the lights were on, when everything was flowing. Um, but it's brought up so many things. It, it shows the in- inequity in the, the hospital system, in the healthcare system, in, in, in all sorts of different things, the prison system has become a really big issue. Um, yeah, the prison system is just wild how out of balance it is and how, I mean, it just feels, it feels like a money machine to me. I mean, the way I've interpreted it, um, and it seems like black American males are really like being used in the whole system. Um, you want to dive into that a little bit more?
1: Sure. It's it's across the country. You know, black people uh make up a small portion of the population of this nation. But they're the the largest group of people who are charged for crimes and sent to prison. Yes, it is a money maker. Not only is it a money maker, it's just damaging our societies, you know, tremendously. Because we need everybody. So that goes to equity. Is it fair and impartial treatment of all people? You know, basically it's, it's being targeted, targeted by the system, a system that's done this for many, 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 many years from the beginning of, of this nation. You know, we're we're having to deal with, you know, the the founding of this country, how it was for black people who were enslaved in this country. And what they had to go through and what they have continued to go through up until this point where the target is basically you know black people it it could you know and men especially being policed over police by you know a police department let's be honest you know police departments in this country are the majority white but to say that meaning being a police officer is a noble job. It's a good profession for people who want to do it, but you have to be fair and impartial and non-discriminatory in administering the law. So there's many, many uh, disparities in how justice, and that's what we're talking about today, justice is administered. Uh, if the next generation or the next generations or the generations here, my generation, your generation and into the future. We don't get a handle on our public service, our public officials, the ones we elect, the ones we give the authority over these, uh, systems, if you will, everything, you know, economically, socially, medically, and so forth, uh, we're going to be in big trouble and these things parallel each other. The the national security parallels that we spend more money on the military, but we spend less money on healthcare. We spend a few dollars or no dollars on hunger. We don't city, some cities don't address the homelessness issue, uh, poverty, uh, you know, our, our, homelessness issue across the nation you know when i was growing up i didn't see anybody homeless in the same america that i grew up but i go back to that small community or the the towns other towns surrounding it you have homeless people why something's wrong the fair and equitable distribution of the wealth of this nation is being gobbled up by only a handful of people now We have a shortage of nurses. We have a shortage of doctors. We have a shortage of engineers. We have a shortage of a lot of different professions that we need in order to survive. However, that goes back to the educational uh, inequality of providing an education based on financing it. You know, there are some nations, you know, you live in, people live in that, don't have to pay for education at all, but we do. You get into debt. You could be because you get in into debtors' prison instead of being physically in prison. You be economically in prison. You go to school to get a degree to go out and work. Those jobs are not available because our infrastructure for the types of uh, companies that produce certain items we don't have them here anymore. Everything was shipped overseas. You know, nothing against uh making money, nothing to be against being prosperous, but as we see uh the general population is suffering, and it shows what type of nation we are. I call it a retail nation, a service nation where lots of people work in restaurants, people work in retail stores you know uh if you and we don't have the type of industry that we had uh 40 years ago you know in the 1980s that's when uh, companies start to move their businesses offshore let's uh, say to China you know China joined the World Trade Organization back in the 1990s in less than 10 years wow. they had come to a great economic power and look at them today they're becoming a great military power and uh, they're being able to flex uh, their muscle around the world uh, look at Hong Kong Uh, They're moving into Africa. They're moving to any place because of their ability to produce items, you name it, Uh, a mask. Even to the point where when we look at our uh, supply chain, uh, companies like Walmart, companies like Target and all the other uh, companies, the retail uh, companies, if you say that you're going to support the nation, the people, your community of people, you have your businesses, a mask. A mask shouldn't be uh, something that everyone would have to pay for. This was a coming together of ensuring that everybody was safe. So I I have a problem with some of these companies who are saying that they're going to support the people whatever way they can, and they don't do anything when it comes to the safety and well-being of the people who are there selling these inexpensive items from China to the American people, and then they cannot provide a service, if you will, a mask, an item, a mask, to protect the whole population. I have a problem with that. You know, uh, Walmart didn't close. Walmart stayed open. But Walmart representatives stood up during the initial coronavirus presentation with the leaders of our country, the president and others, and said, oh, we're going to do everything we can to support the nation and, and and make sure that our communities are taken care of. I haven't looked, but Walmart said that they would be right there to protect those communities that they're in. But they did nothing. I don't see anything that they did, but stayed open. They knew the stimulus checks. They knew the food stamps or whatever, unemployment checks, people will have to go and buy food. And the main place in most communities is a Walmart. You know, I'm not just, I'm talking to Walmart because they have the capacity and the capability to give more. You know, as an example, during natural disasters, Walmart is right there in the community doing things and giving water and so forth and so on. But in this medical disaster we have, they didn't really show up. They just kept the doors open. People still could work. But even probably people going in to work who may have may or may not have been sick, but a, a economic economical power house like Walmart doesn't provide the health care or health benefits or medical benefits to their people. So something's wrong there. And and we're in this condition because of what the people lost sight of, I believe. Uh, yes, we do need money to survive. We all do. But we have to survive by providing for each other in, in, in these times of crisis. And even before the crisis, I don't think we should have hunger. Should be food for everybody, you know, in this in this nation. You know, while, during the coronavirus was going on, and it's still going on, uh, I volunteered to go out and be part of food drives. Yes, it was a risk, but I'm a warrior, I'm striker one and I like going out, being on the front line. But out there on the front line I saw uh hungry people. You know, it didn't matter what car what kind of car you drove or what kind of business title you had, hunger does not discriminate. You know, so it showed me the need, the need in the nation. You know uh for food, it showed me the need in the nation for a concerted comprehensive plan to address the educational issues. It showed me that you know people's salaries the companies were not protecting their people uh it showed me the uh how unorganized our national system of government uh is not was, is to this day, because we're dealing with now, uh, which is just shocking to me. I, use, I don't know what other word to use right now, but I'll just say shocking. So, I'm just saying, I guess, in a nutshell, we need all of the companies, entities that say they support our people, the people of this nation, to step up and do more instead of give lip service to the issue of giving out masks, making sure healthcare is there is is there, donating more food, being more proactive, you know, and not making this into a sideshow and just a, a come up, if you will, for people who have the power, you know, and the resources, you know, economically uh, to uh, help people instead of
0: hurt people. Yeah. It's really interesting to look now that we've had a couple of months of coronavirus and like looking at the companies that have done really well in this time and like Amazon has done really well. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see and then think about everybody else that isn't doing well, like so many businesses have shut down already and more are going to in the future. And, um, yeah, it's it's just really a trip seeing what a couple of months of shutdown can do, and then like the way that it was shut down, and the way that some places were allowed to stay open, and um,
1: yeah. Well, it's a network of corporate control, as you can see now. It's a network. You know, it's a network of uh, large <clears throat> companies who are controlling everything worldwide. You know, uh, the the small business owner was the first one to get hit by this. And uh, some of those people will never recover or come back from the coronavirus. How unfortunate. But our system of government, if you will, didn't take that into consideration. So everybody needed money to take care of themselves. They gave a stimulus package. That took a while to put the trillions of dollars out there to the public, but it's not enough. You know, it's just kind of chaotic, and it's a catastrophe because uh, we were taught to believe that we're the greatest nation on earth. We're, you know, our kinks in our army, if you will, are being shown uh, right now. We got holes in our armor. So uh, it's very disheartening to see it, but what's uh, good to see and uh, motivational to see and inspirational to see is that people are seeing it now. It's happening to everybody. Hunger doesn't have a color. Poverty doesn't have a color. Unemployment don't have a, cover, a color. excuse me. Uh, education. We need to continue to put pressure on our national government but it goes down to the state. You see how the, some states handle it differently but it depends on who you have in the political power in your particular state. So you don't see the United States. You see a ununited situation when it came to the coronavirus. You saw the authority and the power of a governor and their uh departments to address this issue, but we did not have a national strategy, you know, uh to deal with it. You know, I could it's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot of reasons why not. But that really doesn't matter now. What matters is what are we going to do and what we're going to have to continue to do because based on a country our size compared to Korea and other countries, the death rate for coronavirus, our testing, their testing capabilities were right on target. You know, we have an intelligence apparatus in this nation You know, through the NSC, through the CIA, through the Defense Intelligence Agency, to all the other units of government that have these special units, if you will, I'll call them, capable of finding information uh, quickly. Our satellites' capabilities uh, to look, to see, uh, they broke down someplace. But the civilian leadership are the ones who are in control of the information Uh, That comes from all these different agencies, but they have the leadership has a responsibility to tell the people the truth and to especially on an issue like this. The truth does matter. The truth matters, period. But if the power, the people in power do not. Or are are not honest, you end up with situations where you're over 100000 people dead, uh, no plan, no preparation. You know, this turned into. This should should have been something where we jumped on top of it, uh, knew what we needed to do, executed it. But due to the chaos and turmoil in our national government, and you see how the governors had to rise up and make the decisions, which they're responsible for doing that, but the support comes all the way through uh, this triangle, I call it, from federal, state, and local. So as I've, I've always heard, the politics... Or at the local level, that's where they are. So now we see where the politics is, and where we're looking to, for that collective, organized perspective on taking care of the people of this nation, is just not there. And I'm 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 happy to see the people out, you know, protesting. Uh, but it will have to continue. You know, the speeches, they're great but the action that comes behind it and the people and what they demand at the ballot box, how they uh, have oversight as an individual in this nation to ensure that the people that they elect into these powerful offices that are making decisions, not just for now, but for the future, for the general population, they need to be held accountable. And if they're not doing what is in the best benefit or the best interest of the people, they need to be voted out or removed, whatever term you want to, to use and describe it. But this is what's happening. We, right now, we're getting a, civic, a civics lesson in how things are supposed to be versus how things are.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> we're living it. Um,
1: we're living it every day.
0: Okay, so this is, this is a podcast about creativity. And, um, so I'm curious if you could wave a magic wand and, um, bring solutions to all of these problems. I mean, we've got problems, all the different things that we've mentioned and talked about all the different things that are going on right now. Like, what would your solutions look like? And like, what levels would they be at? And like, what type of a a change would we we'd be uh, looking at?
1: Well, I just say do unto others as you have them do unto you. So my magic wand would be we will have to recondition our minds, re-educate the public about relationships and people. On both sides of this coin, if you will, we're passing down some information or ideologies to the younger generation that are not changing you know about each other and we shouldn't do that on either side we have to change and get into the 21st century we're a 21st century nation with 20th century perspectives they don't work you know it would be to be open to be honest and to look at the nation as a whole and not look at it by color. We have a lot of different things like that going on, and it's yes, we all need to make a living. But pr- prison systems are killing our ability with those smart people who made a mistake, or people who just made a mistake, and they ended up, you know, copping to a twenty-year plea for, you know, stealing a bag of uh, chips, you know, with a gun or something. It's overzealous prosecution. So what we need to do and say, are we, it would become, again, the United States of America. And we would unite as one. And that's what I would wave my magic wand over the minds of the people in the nation to look at each other as citizens and treat each other fairly and impartial in administering of all these things we've talked about. Economics, number one. Okay, that's most important. We don't have to do what we're doing. We don't have to not have people uh, not being able to make a decent living, a fair wage, if you will. It's another issue. You know, over the country, different cities, different places, you know, are the professions people work in. Uh, it needs to be fair. It needs to be equal. To be looked at and not keep the nation or further push the re- nation into poverty or desperation. So I want to change the minds of people. They're my one with the way my one over everyone and say, hey, we're all the same. We're all bleed, bleed blood and we're all the same. We're here for one one specific goal, to love one another, share with one another, you know, and reduce the violence and, and have a pleasant a pleasant existence here on this uh, planet as a whole.
0: Yeah, and it's really interesting because I feel like there's so many people that that feel that and understand that. And then there's so many people that all they see is division, all they see is difference. They see um and then and then they have it in their minds that there is a difference between people. Like um there is truly a difference between somebody with a different skin color um and you know, I feel really blessed to have been able to interact with lots of different people from different backgrounds and travel. And, um, yeah. you know, through that I have really seen, and I've had various experiences also just like interpersonal stuff that have really shown me that like every single person just wants the same thing. You all like we all just want, you know, to be free and have our families have opportunities and be free from, suffering and are as much as possible and um so many people just like don't see that and think that there is a, a major difference between people from different backgrounds different socioeconomic levels like um and i mean i guess that that's part of like part of what people are talking about with like privilege and those sorts of elements um do you want to talk about that a little bit
1: Yeah, um, we were all given the same, we have the same rights as human beings. We come here, we should be able to live in uh, safety and security, to be fed, to be educated, to be cared for, but we're passing down traditional thinking, and it goes back to that. How, what's being passed down, who has it, they're not sharing. You know, we talk about, You know, Tesla, we can talk about entertainment, we can talk about Amazon, we can talk about the owners of Walmart, we can talk about the owners of Target, all these major corporation banks, but they're not uh, sharing the wealth, they're hoarding the wealth. So until that's addressed, I'm not saying anything wrong with being successful and having the things on earth, but you know, you're creating a uh, lower class as far as uh, economics, rich and poor. It's something in the middle. You know, something's got to be in the middle to hold it together. So the gap, if the gap has to be filled, we'll say it's the middle class. That has to be there in order to stabilize or balance what's at the top and what's at the bottom. But now you have a top and just a bottom, nothing in the middle. It's just open space. So, uh, that this is not, you know, it shouldn't be a color issue. It shouldn't be whether you're black, whether you're white, Hispanic, whether you're the native native, uh, indigenous people of this nation are suffering. You know, they were here way before and there they're at the bottom realm you know, to include all people you know, who are being pushed to a level of poverty and desperation but the people have to stand up. This is for the people, by the people, a nation. We will have to get back to the basics of that and to recognize that we have to hold all all of these businesses accountable. We have to hold the people who have the power, privilege, and so forth accountable. And that's where we are today. You know, um, it just has to be done. There's There's no other way to do it but to stand up. There's no other way to do it but organize, and the good thing about the organizing that's going on now, social media, computer systems that you know that we have out here, with all these different uh, platforms to communicate. Okay, so that's a good thing, but we still have to be vigilant in ensuring that the police is back to that, and the leaders, the mayors, the governors the local officials, commissioners, the sheriff departments, that they be held accountable for what they're doing. They're doing it to everybody. You know, it's unfortunate that, you know, uh, George Floyd was, you know, killed in that way. And it's it's been going on. This is nothing new, uh, but it has to stop. Stopping it takes everybody, you know, because it could happen to anyone but it seems to be more prevalent as far as for black males. So uh, it's true that it's a bad situation we have here, but the saving grace is that everyone is standing up for each other, for women, for men, for their children, for their families, because people have been flung into a level of desperation uh as far as the ability to take care of their families, maintain their homes, educate their children, childcare, food. It's just really a serious situation. It was a boiling point. But when you have uh revenge politics instead of, instead of having a political leaders who are about working together, bridging the gap, you will you will have these types of situations going forward. So hopefully the saving grace we have right now uh, coming forward and people realizing is we don't need this. We don't need this type of leadership. We don't need this type of division. We don't need these type of situations. So uh, people, all people, young, old, you name it, have to vote. There's another issue with the voting rights. There's another issue uh, how different states wants to want to do it now. You know, uh, before you didn't hear about you got in having an ID, we're going to purge the roles of voters who haven't voted. It was, it was an act that was in place, the Voting Rights Act. It expired. It shouldn't have expired. But see, we didn't have our focus as people on the right thing. You know, uh, we were focusing on something uh, differently, and we should have been focusing on that specific issue in order to make sure that those rights and privileges of being a citizen. To vote, uh, we're still in place. So it's a lot of work to be done. And it's a lot of hard times ahead, and we're in them right now. You know this. This situation is is ruining a lot of families, uh, as far as relationships, uh, you know, divorce. You name it. A lot of stuff going on, and it's terrible and it's bad. But no one is going to come from the outside. No other superhero, if you will, is going to come from the outside of the United States and tell us how to do it. We know how to do it. And the people who are in the positions of authority who retired or left the system, they have to speak up. You can't do be politically correct. Even our military leaders, uh, they're coming out, they're speaking out because they have to. So because no, they're no longer, as I am, in the military. So you're subjected to the same type of you know, restrictions, if you will, as any other person is. Now you can't restricting your movement and what you're doing. You know, this is a free nation and people have to know it, it cost freedom is at a cost. And it mostly it's the cost of lives. It's unfortunate that internally we're fighting amongst one another. But our external enemies, if you will, they're looking at us us saying, let's stir up more of the controversy within that nation. Let's do these things. You know, let's get get partners to play in on this. Let's stir it up. You know, I can't say specifically or for a fact that they're instigators, if you will, but I would venture to believe that there are, because the people who are marching nonviolently are a smaller number of the ones who are acting violently and doing committing crimes and uh so I can I can understand the anger, I can understand the frustration because I have it too, but there's a better way to channel it, you know, than going in and destroying businesses and property and so forth. You have the right, you know, that's happening. But that could be averted too. But you can look at it from another perspective and say, maybe, just maybe, based on the militarization Of the police force, they want to use some of this hard weather they receive. It's no good unless they use it. You know what I mean? You know, a car is no good unless you're driving it, taking you places, right? Yeah. So you know, we we as a nation is right now at a point where we have to say, this is where this is where it ends. It ends. And demand more from your elected leaders, local, state, and national. And the key one is going to be our national leaders to get the right people with the right plan, with the right attitude to work together, a collaboration, a partnership. You know, because I saw during my uh, efforts with the food drive, it was the school system working with other community groups to give out food, and the people who were de- given the food were the uh, retailers and, and grocery stores and so forth and companies that were given the food. But we ran out. We'll always run out if we don't come up with a way to deal with the situation we have in this country as a whole. I can say that if you don't uh, be aggressive on it and take care of it, we're going to have a lot more uh, suffering uh, in the future. Wow. I agree.
0: Um, yeah, that was, I really appreciate you being on and talking with me about all this. Um Yes. Now, at the end of each episode, what I do is I ask three questions and one of them uh, you answered the last time you were on, which is what's your definition of art? So if people want to listen to that, go back to the the earlier episode, please. Um, but I do have two other questions and I feel like they might tie in. And um, the first question is, if you could go back and give yourself um, as a young man, young like boy, teenager, whatever Give yourself advice. What would that be?
1: You know, what it would be would be this. I probably wouldn't have joined the military. I probably would have listened to my mother because, you know, I it was a, a, I would. my advice would be listen to your parents. <laughs> Mothers know best, parents know best. But uh, not that the military did anything negative to me it was a positive experience, but sometimes we don't listen well. So it would be to listen closely and be an active listener and uh, be open-minded about what you want to do and listen to others and learn more about what it is that you're about to do with the rest of your life. Yeah.
0: I mean, you were, you were 17 when you went in. That's like, you're just a baby at that point.
1: I was a minor, man. I had to get my, my dad, didn't want to sign, because, you know, I graduated from high school early. I was like 16 years old, and um, you know, I always wanted to be in the, in the Air Force and be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. You know, my father, he wasn't against it so much, because it was my choice, and our parents let us make our own choices, but my mom was adamantly against it, because they had to sign, because I was a minor, to join the military. So I um I love my mother, I love my father, He's still alive. Um uh, and you know I would say um you know listen to your parents. I'll just reemphasize that listen to your parents. <laughs> listen to them. I like that.
0: <laughs> um and then the other question is what uh what what media would you recommend to people right now. This could be a book, this could be an article or a podcast or or whatever.
1: I recommend listening to this podcast. <laughs> this is the one that I like the most. <laughs> uh, and and to be, you know, you have to have credible sources. You know, I would venture out to 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 ask people to be conscious of any source that you use, you know everybody has an opinion. We know we know about the opinion issue. You know what that means. Everybody's got one. So, but to be more uh, of a researcher and, 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 and getting to know these people, putting the information out there, and and be more critical in your thinking. You know uh, about what you're reading, what's coming in, and how you're processing it. Because, the television, the news. Uh, outlets they need viewership. you know I would just say, look at it, think about it, Don't jump to a conclusion because we don't have all the information you know Just be a little bit more uh, precise and uh, copious in, in looking at things instead of just jumping to a conclusion because you see one arousing speech or you like the commentator on the, on the television, they sound good. We have to do more. We have to uh, be a little bit more uh, precise and better listeners and evaluating and questioning where it's coming from, what the motives are, before we just jump in, you know, feet first. Beautiful. Very wise. Um, well,
0: Striker One, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast again. This is, this is awesome. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you.
1: And I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully, I'll be on again and we can have a, another conversation. And I just want to say one last thing Striker One out. So, that, my
0: friends, was Striker One coming back for his second installment. We were just talking after the uh, recording and Probably just going to wait another month and see where the world goes and do another one of these. Um, like I said, we always have these awesome conversations and it's always really cool to hear his perspective on things. He's kind of got this um, bird's eye view on a lot of stuff. And, uh, and I always just love to pick his brain and see what kind of wisdom he's got for me on uh, any given day. Um, yeah. These are challenging times. I feel like we're all learning from them. And I certainly am. Um, and I guess what I'm learning right now is to stand up. To stand up for things that you believe in and and speak when it's needed. And um, yeah, if we all do that, then... Then we can all get back to a place where just like striker one said in here you know treat others as you want to be treated like we're all just humans and even outside of that like you bring in the animal world you bring in the plant world the environment the earth like if you just apply the golden rule to every situation it's always going to turn out as well as possible I mean, things aren't always easy. It's all, it, it can be challenging in different ways to make things fit and work. But if if every perspective is considered in a situation and outcomes are, are aimed to, you know, at least benefit or balance everything as well as possible, then um, I would say that we'd be going in a good direction. So that's just my two cents on it. Um, I hope that wherever you are, whoever you are, you are, you know, living as well as you can and and taking care of those around you and being kind to others and, and the planet and and people and, and your family and people that aren't your family. Um, yeah, it's a crazy world. Hopefully it's getting better hopefully all of this change, all this challenge is maybe humanity's version of, uh, a caterpillar that is coming to the end of its life. And maybe we're going into a cocoon right now. And what if we come out on the other side, a butterfly that is, is, uh, living in a whole other dimension of reality because we're, we we've shed the 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 terrible things of our past well once again thank you for tuning in and listening i really appreciate it be sure to subscribe if you haven't already please share this out if uh if you enjoyed it share it with people that you think might vibe with it or dig it or be inspired by it um that's the intention is to inspire creativity to inspire art in you, the listener, in in everybody's life, the more art that we have in the world, the better. Um, it's a better wavelength to be existing in. It's a better mindset. It's a it's a more open minded approach to living um, and thinking. That's just my opinion, right there. If you don't agree, that's okay. But that's about it for now. Um, meantime. Be safe. Take care.